Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. If you have a Bible, uh, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is sort of the quintessential um, argument for the resurrection that Paul makes to um, a Gentile church, a a very, um, probably the most liberal um, community of the ancient world, the most um, um, worldly. Uh, It'd be like uh, a letter written to San Francisco or something. Uh, is a letter written to the Corinthian church. Let me mention, people like to take pictures after the uh, uh, Easter pictures after the service. So right outside the door, we have a backdrop. Go right out that door to the left. Uh, There's a beautiful backdrop for Easter pictures. We'll have people there to take a picture for you with your cell phone, with our camera, or whatever. I know a lot of you really want me to be in the pictures with you. That's just not gonna happen. But anyway, or you can take a picture out by the fountain uh, if you like. That's lovely too. There's a charge for that. But Um, so, 1 Corinthians chapter um, 15. So good. Uh, Gosh, I love just looking around the room and seeing faces of people I love. I see Charlie Cantopolo. I went and watched Charlie Cantopolo wrestle when he was in high school at Christ River High School. He's 70 years old now, Charlie. But. Just fun to see uh, people you love um, in church. So why don't you stand if you're able and willing, and I'm going to read Paul's argument uh, that he's presenting about the resurrection. I'm going to read a portion of it. If you want to read the whole chapter later today, uh, boy, that would be a, a good thing. So Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. I want to remind you, this is Paul writing this. Paul was in the company of the people who killed Jesus. Paul didn't believe this, right? He has been radically transformed. He says, I delivered this Uh, First importance, what I also received, Christ died for your sins in accord with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accord with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, if you have any doubts, go and ask them. Most are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then Jesus appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul writes in verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father 
after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And he concludes in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul ends this with a taunt, doesn't he? Oh, death, you are nothing to us anymore. This is the word of God. Every word of it is true. And it's given to us by a God who loves us indeed. You may be seated, please. So I got a phone call from a pastor this week. He's a young pastor. He's just moved to a new church this year. It's an old, historic, venerated, established um, church. So ever since he moved there, they've, it's COVID. You know, the church has hardly been meeting. He's been preaching, um, uh, you know, recorded uh, to the church. He's hardly ever been with them in person. And um, his, um, he calls me this week and he says, um, perhaps the most venerated, honored, loved person in our tribe, tr- uh, church fell over dead this morning. So I'm going to begin my first Easter service at this church and I have to make a death announcement to them. And while many will know it, they will still be rocked by this. It will cast a pall over. Easter's supposed to be festive and encouraging and hopeful, and I'm gonna come with a death announcement. Um, It's gonna ruin the whole day. Well, truth is I have to make a death announcement this morning um, too. Now, honestly, it shouldn't surprise you because this has been the year of, uh, of death. Over 550,000 COVID deaths in our own country, more than the loss, I believe, in any war in United States um, history, Uh, almost 500 COVID deaths in our community. We often say COVID stole so much from us in the last year, but it's not really COVID that did, it's death that did. Death, the fear of death is what has kept us locked down and away from other people, right? So we weren't here last Easter. We weren't here on Christmas Eve. All those family gatherings like Mother's Day and the 4th of July and Thanksgiving and and summer at the beach, right, and Christmas Eve, so many of them didn't take place, um, did they? It's been a brutal year. Birthdays, weddings, funerals, times when we desperately needed each other. We could not be together. And if that wasn't enough, In 2020 to this church, death drew near in a personal way, in a vicious way. So I'll not forget last June 3rd when Jason Steele called in tears telling me that his beloved firstborn, Jake, had to succumb to leukemia. He's a college student, a college athlete, the fit of the fit. And yet leukemia invaded his body and almost killed him within a month. But he battled for two years valiantly, much of it at Moffitt Hospital, his family by his side. But finally, his body had given up the fight. Come on, man. We fought. We love this family. Then came um, the news on November 6th, again, shocking to the core 
And a young man who grew up here and went to school here, Wyatt Norman, was driving in Gainesville with a friend and a truck runs through a stop sign and in moments his life is over. What a horror. It's the horror of horrors. It's the fear of every family. And that wasn't all, honestly, from Rod Bruce to Mark Stone to Jennifer LaManda and on and on I could go um, with the names. Even two weeks ago, my brother's daughter gave birth to twins. What a happy, happy, happy family day that is. Only two days later, one of the little girls died. It was the year of death. It seems like every week someone was on their way to Moffitt to be diagnosed and someone was on their way back with grim and discouraging news. Death is our enemy. It's an unwanted guest. It's the destroyer of the party. It's hideous. It's frightening. It's cruel. It's evil. I hate it. When you're a pastor, you realize every single weekend at a church of our size is bound to be the worst weekend in that person's life. And some person in your church, it's the worst weekend of their life. It's post-traumatic stress and being pounded by death. So this Easter service, I have a death to announce. But this death is far from sobering. In fact, it's dance in the street, good news. It's why we have brass here playing. It's why people are dressed in festive colors. Because at the announcement of this death, a party breaks out. You see, 2,000 years ago, on this day, outside the walls of Jerusalem, early in the morning, death died. Death perished for all who are in Jesus. Um, on the first day of the week, Mary came the grave to seek. Jesus met her, by the way. What? On the first day of the week, Mary went the grave to seek. The, the one thing she never dreamed happened. She didn't find the grave, she found Jesus. On that first resurrection day, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So let's talk about it together. Here's where we're going to go. How did death die? How does that, who does that death really apply to? Does that mean everybody is good to go when they die? And last of all, okay, we know what it might mean that Jesus conquered death because someday we're all going to die, but what does it actually mean now? What does it mean for today, tomorrow, and the day after? Ready to go? Got a sermon outline? Here we go. Rock and roll. First of all, what did the death of death, how was that accomplished? How was death conquered? Because death is our greatest enemy. It is relentless in its pursuit. You know, it's an important thing to realize that war and pandemics don't raise the death toll. It's still one for one, right? Uh, everybody um, dies. Think of modern medicine and technology. It's astounding what progress people have made. 
you know, 100 years ago, in the, in the late 1890s, the average lifespan in our country was, in the, was like 42, 45 years old. Think of the progress we've made. We gobble down vitamins. We go to Zumba class, you know. We fight death with all we've got. And guess what? Death's still batting 1,000. Everybody dies. Hard as we run from it. So why be upset about it? I mean, isn't it just natural? Well, I'll tell you somebody who didn't think so. Jesus didn't. You remember? Here's word that his friend Lazarus dies. He heads to the community where Lazarus lives, and Jesus, we know from the story, is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet when Jesus goes there, he's angry. He's snorting mad, and he weeps. Some of you remember learning that as your Bible verse when your parents said, you have to learn a Bible verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. He wept there at the grave of his friend. Now, why? Why? He made the world. Why was he bothered by this? Because death wasn't in the original design. It was so much fun a year or two after building this building to walk through this building with the architect and to have the architect who drew it um, point out why he did this or why he did that or why he made this choice. It was just fascinating. But there were certain points at which he'd stop and say, now why is that like that? Because that's not what I, what? That's not what I designed. That's not what I drew in a way that only the designer would know. And so the designer of all the heavens and all the earth says, no, no, death is not the way it's supposed to be. We were meant to endure. We were meant to grow more and more beautiful, more and more strong, not more and more feeble, and then die. We turned from God. We launched an insurrection, and it broke everything. It broke community. You wonder why we have so much division? It broke our bodies. It broke our souls. It broke our families. It broke our world. It broke all of creation. Nothing works as it was designed. So parents were comforting, not believers, not Christians, they were comforting their seven-year-old son because his three-year-old cousin had died. And this is the tack they took. You know, it really is something very natural. It is, it is a natural occurrence in life. And, and there's even a beauty to it. You know, when somebody dies, we put them into the ground and their body decays and, and that decay only nourishes the ground and nourishes the earth and new life uh, springs forth. It's really, you see, it's really beautiful. You've watched the Lion King, they said to him. It's the circle of life. And the little three-year-old looked at them and he yelled at them and he said, but I don't want my cousin to be fertilizer. Well, he's right, you know. And we're made for a dignity. We're made for glory. We're not made to be fertilizer. The boy gets it. Death isn't right. And Jesus is angry at the monstrosity of death. As I've sat at the bedside of people, sometimes people who had taken their own lives, I just the only thing that sustains me in that moment is to say, somebody hates this moment worse than I do. Somebody hates this. And the one person who could do something about it did something. He intervened. Jesus takes on our enemy, the destroyer, and he destroys it. He dies in our place, but the grave could not hold him, and he destroys death on behalf of his people. That's the scripture we have. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of flesh and blood, that through death 
He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last of those is death. He destroyed death as our representative. You know, the most beloved, perhaps, story in the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament, best known, kids love this story, best of all, David and what? David and Goliath. You see, the Israelites had a problem. They had an enemy. Their enemy was the Philistines. The Philistines lived along the coast. They were a seafaring people. They were very powerful. And very often, Israel and the Philistines would, uh, would find themselves in conflict. But in the ancient world, they did something very different. You know, they didn't go to the middle of the field between the two armies and blow a whistle and everybody run in and slaughter each other and maybe one uh, army prevails. They didn't do it that way. Each side picked a representative. Each side picked their best guy. And the two best guys went out and fought it out, see? And so if your guy won, if you were Israel and you sent out the right guy, then, uh, then you had pick of, of all the women of the uh, Philistines. You had um, all their wealth. You could take their children for slaves. I mean, whatever, whatever. All, and you didn't even fight, right? You didn't even fight at all. Your best guy won for you. Now the problem was what? The Philistines had the best of the best guys, right? And his name was Goliath. It even sounds awesome, doesn't it? Goliath. Goliath. So Goliath is out there every day rumbling at the uh, Israelites, cursing them, cursing their God, taunting them, and nobody from the Israelites will go fight him. They're quivering in their tents. There's no champion for Israel. That's the point of the story. Israel lacks a champion, except for the except for David, the little shepherd boy, can't even bear the armor. So what's the real point? If a, if a little boy goes out and beats Goliath, what's the real point of that Bible story? Who is Israel's champion? David doesn't beat Goliath, who does? God does, God's their champion. That's a story that carries right through the Bible. Jesus defeats the ogre of death, and guess what, we get the benefit. We didn't fight. We don't have the power to win. That's the way it works in God's economy. It could be talking to people today who would say, I don't, I don't believe this. Appreciate your earnestness, Pastor. I realize it's church. I don't you know, hold it against you that you're proclaiming these things. But I don't believe it. I don't believe in the resurrection. I'm not sure I even believe that Jesus was an actual um, person. I'm not buying this, and I, and, I, and I just want to acknowledge that, and I also want to say, but that doesn't alter the historicity of the resurrection. You can choose what you believe. You can believe anything, right? Um, but, um, you know, you can choose what you believe, but that doesn't uh, alter the facts. Facts are facts. Facts are, are, are stubborn little things, right? So you can believe that you're a kangaroo. You, you're free to go ahead. Um, if your name's Joey, I'm, I'd be suspicious. But, you know, um, you can believe you're a kangaroo, but, uh, but you're not. You can believe you're a kangaroo, but, uh, but you're not. I should have given a trigger warning before I said that, but you're not. Um, you could um, believe the moon's made of cheese, 
But it's not, right? You can believe that COVID vaccination is a government plot to implant you with a chip that will allow Bill Gates to surveil you wherever you go. Um, but it's not. Um, there are facts. Um, we don't do well with facts in our modern culture. But the resurrection of Jesus is a historical, verified fact. Skeptics have, you know, if there was anything in all the world skeptics would want to disprove, right? It would be this. So they've gone at it from every angle. The only problem is so many of them who devoted themselves to studying it were what? Converted. And I'd urge you to honestly do the same. So about 10 years ago, a little girl, a young woman who grew up in our church as a girl became a mama. She had a baby down in Brandon. And when this, uh, Brandon, Florida, when this baby was born, um, uh, it was obvious that the baby had severe problems. It was an arterial abnormality causing tumors to proliferate underneath the skin of the baby. They called it a hemangioma. And uh, you can see that uh, uh, even from the picture on the left to the picture on the right, as soon as the baby was born, this condition just raced ahead. It was uh, gaining um, control over destroying the health of this child. She was going down fast and they needed an intervention. So her mother, Kristen, says, I had grown so fast and so large. Our, 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 and the neonatologist told us, uh, and she said, I'll never forget them saying this in our 25 years of practice. We've never seen anything like this. That's not what a parent wants to hear, right? We sent Willow was her name. We sent Willow's pictures and her story to every vascular anomaly clinic I could find an email for. When Dr. Richter from the Children's Hospital of Arkansas, of all places, emailed me back immediately and wanted our doctors to call him because he had a plan from Arkansas, of all places. They blanketed the country as far as they could because they needed an intervention. Their daughter was dying. And the doctor heard the cry, knew what to do. And uh, Sherry O'Neill, the grandma, said that was the day that God answered our prayers and saved our sweet Willow. I'll never forget that day as long as I live. This is Willow now, beautiful um, little girl. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. An intervention. Humanity needed an intervention, right? We couldn't save ourselves, but Jesus stepped in and did it. And Easter is a day we'll always point to and say, it's a day I will never forget. It's the day that death died. With me? Jesus conquered death. Secondly then, who does this apply to? Who gets the benefit of this? I mean, we find death so intolerable that as soon as somebody dies, what do people say? Well, it's terrible, but at least we know they're what? They're in, a, they're in a better place. I wonder when Osama bin Laden died, did all his friends say he's in a better place? Um, I wonder if Al Capone, when he died, everyone said he's in a better place. Um, it's just a, sort of the, 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 the vernacular of our culture. As soon as somebody dies, um, we offer comfort that's not comforting at all because we know that uh, it may not even be true. He's in a better place. Does the fact that Jesus died mean everybody's in a better um, place? I mean, who in fact is in a better place? What does it say? In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever what? Believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, right? This is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. So what does this believe mean, though? Because when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, there's a whole group of people who are standing there, and they believed in Jesus. And these are the people who killed Jesus. Matter of fact, when they saw Lazarus raised from the dead, they were immediately saying, we have to kill this man. So if I asked, did they believe in the existence of Jesus, the answer would be what? Yeah, I mean, he's standing right there. Did they believe in his power to resurrect the dead? Yes, they saw it themselves. So you could say they were believers, right? But they didn't love him. They didn't surrender to him. They didn't follow him. That's obviously not what we're looking um, for. What what to whom does the death apply? What does it what does it mean to believe? You know, um, a friend of mine was playing um, golf. It was a, a a little evangelistic thing they did. About ten Christians, all of them were really good golfers. My friend's a scratch. He's a pastor. He's a scratch golfer. Um, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. And um, and he. Um, uh, so they, so they invited 20 um, non-Christians, prominent people, leading businessmen and such, and uh, to a very um, exclusive country club. They had a Ryder Cup format, and just hoping that over a couple days they could engage uh, these, these non-Christians in meaningful conversations. And so my friend says he's matched up with a, a very prominent, very successful Southern attorney. And... Um, they're playing along. He said he doubled my friends, uh, great golfers, telling me about playing Pebble Beach and being three under through seven holes. And, um, and um, he did double bogeyed the 11th hole. So he says he's ripping mad. And on the 12th hole, the guy he's playing with uh, says, you know, um, but this guy had already asked my friend what his, um, what his vocation was. And my friend said um, he didn't want to, give away uh, his job, he said, um, I'm in long-term investments, future investments. <laughs> and he said, it's the best answer because nobody ever asks you for more information because they're afraid you'll give them the pitch. Um, so this guy, uh, this attorney says, uh, you know, I actually think that when my time's up, when, uh, when the man upstairs rings the bell uh, for me, uh, the doors are going to swing wide open for me. Uh, my friend says, well, I'm curious why you're so confident. He said, well, honestly, I have run a successful practice, and we have helped a ton of people, and I have been moral and ethical in that practice. I've been reasonably charitable in the community. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of looked at as an icon in the community. And he said, but I'll tell you what my ace card is. Um, my trump card is this, is that my son, I've never been much for church, he said, but my son's like into Jesus, and my son like goes to church, and he said, if anybody that righteous could come from me, then I think I'm getting in. Um, and you know, my friend was just, he was mad because of his golf, and he just lost it. He did what you were not supposed to do, and he looked at this guy and he said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I said, the almighty God who made the heavens and the earth, who's watched out for you, protected for you, provided for you, given you a life like almost no done nothing but um, take credit for whatever's happened. You've completely avoided God. You've neglected 
um, God, you've never um, really given gratitude or thanks for all he's done for you. And at the end of your life, you're going to stand out and say, the righteousness of my son, that's what's going to get me in. My friend said, you're a lawyer. You take that argument into any courtroom and that judge will throw you out on your can. That's stupid. He said, the shame of it is, you're so close though. It's not the righteousness of your son that will get you into heaven. It's the righteousness of God's son that will get you into heaven. You see, that's the problem. What did the lawyer lack? He lacked need, didn't he? He lacked seeing the cavernous desperation of a life separated from God, and yet God opening his arms and bid him to come. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, um, uh, it's amazing is what it is that Jesus says there are more prostitutes. When he was talking to the religious leaders who would have been considered the most upright people in his culture, he said there's more prostitutes in heaven than there are you. Because what did the prostitutes have that they didn't have? Need. Need. They knew they weren't good. They knew they were desperate. They knew if they didn't have Jesus, they didn't have anything. That's what we need. Those who will run to Jesus and choose him. Choose him like desperate people, right? Remember the woman, probably a prostitute, who comes to Jesus, breaks an expensive jar of ointment, and washes Jesus' feet and dries them with her hair. And the people who were there said, Gross! This is gross. She's, look at who he's, he's letting that woman touch him, but she's crazy with affection for him. It's the response of those who have been rescued. Jesse Madsen is a police officer in Tampa. Look at this picture of his beautiful family. You can see he's in a military uniform. He was three time Three tours in Afghanistan with the United States Marine Corps for his country. Of late, for a number of years, he's been a Tampa police officer. On March the 9th, the recall came over his radio while he's on duty that there's a wrong way driver on 275 in Tampa. Cars are careening out of the way. This driver is, uh, is, 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 is gonna take the life of somebody. Officer Madden steers his car into the pathway of that driver. He doesn't intend to die, but he's willing to, and unfortunately he does. And all of Tampa stops. 5,000 people are at his funeral. People line the streets to say thank you, right? A beautiful wife, three beautiful children without a dad, right? Because he allowed himself to get run over instead of anyone else. He put himself in harm's way. You can't respond to that with just sort of a tepid, well, that was nice. That's nice. I like church, I like Jesus, it's nice. That's really kind of not what the Bible's talking about when it says believe. It means somebody who's desperately hungry finds bread. Somebody who's desperate for love finds love. You know, Flannery O'Connor, listen to what she said. She said, Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead. He shouldn't have done it. He'd thrown everything off balance. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't, then there's nothing for you to do but enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can. If he did it, it's nothing for you to throw away everything and follow him. Have you said yes um, to Jesus? 
Is he the center of your life? My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong to Jesus. Do you belong to Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? You know, I'm being earnest about this because I don't want you to miss the party. Most people are not in a better place when they die. But you're sitting right here on Easter morning. You are so close. It's the righteousness of God's Son. That's what opens the door. Go get it. You're hungry. Go get the bread. I want to stand at your funeral and say, this one, I know. They're not in a better place. They're in the best place. Last of all then, not only did Jesus conquer death and, and, uh, and those who run to him for grace and mercy make him um, their joy and their delight, even though we all do that poorly, weakly, shallowly, nevertheless, we run to Jesus. What difference does it make now? What difference does it make now? How do we experience it now? So a friend told me he preached on Easter and then some guy came up to him afterwards, some millennial, and said, um, so Jesus rose from the dead. What freaking difference does it make? Um, well, here's the difference it makes. You live with joy. You can live with joy and contentment because this life isn't the whole shebang. Many people live with sort of a perpetual angst, right? Because this life isn't working out like you want. You know, some people say, I never got married. Or I got married three times. They were all losers, you know. Um, I've never gotten that fulfillment out of marriage. I never had kids. Or I had kids, but they don't like me. Or I don't even have any grandkids. This life has been a disappointment. Some say the best of my life has passed me by. You know, we live in a community filled with retirees. And sometimes those retirees race around trying to stuff uh, everything in because the clock is ticking and they can, they can hear the ticking is, is coming closer. We're so desperate to make this life work. Our problem is if we're acting like this life is the whole story. If you belong to Jesus, this life is what? It's just the first chapter. It's just the first chapter. Take a deep breath. You're gonna live forever. But I never got to play Augusta National. I'll get you a tea time in one of the coming chapters. I'm planning on going to the Sydney Opera House in the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be cheaper then. <laughs> this is the first chapter. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, it hasn't even entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who belong to him. We have no idea the glory of the chapters to come. This chapter's the hard chapter. You wanna know what's really sad? For those who don't belong to Jesus, this is the best chapter. But to have Jesus, the best is yet to come. You know, when I was praying with my niece on the phone, 
She's about two days from giving birth, knowing that, that her little daughter Kaylee wasn't going to live long. And I said, Jess, you get that baby as soon as she's born, and you hold her for as long as, long as you can. And you suck up every moment of, uh, of, of, of nurturing her. I don't know if it'll be minutes. I don't know if it'll be hours. Maybe God will even give you days. And then God gave me the right words. Not just because they're comforting, but because they're true. I said, you know, um, you're going to get to raise her. You know that, don't you? On the other side. You're not going to miss out on that. Everything sad comes untrue. The fields that the locusts have eaten are restored. This promise is astounding. You're not missing anything. This is what it means that you can live with joy even through the worst moments of your life. My wife won't read a book until she reads the last chapter. She's not a fool. Why waste your time on all that other stuff if it's got a rotten ending? Spoiler alert. If you belong to Jesus, you know the end of the story. It's glorious. And it helps you live in this chapter, right? And then not only can you live with joy, you can die with joy. You know one thing I love about the Bible? It says that people who die in Jesus, they're asleep. It says they've fallen asleep in Jesus. It's such a beautiful picture, right? We have a, a woman in this church, Tara Bryant, told me one time in Ohio about a, a neighbor of hers. It was a, uh, a large African-American woman, and uh, in their neighborhood was an was a, uh, African-American church. And on Sundays, it seemed like the whole church was rocking, even from the outside. And uh, Tara saw this woman at like a neighborhood uh, event and and she said to this woman I think some Sunday I'm going to come down and visit your church and this woman said to her will you come on down because we will wake you up Uh, (laughs) that's what Jesus says when you close your eyes and you sleep in me I'm coming down and I'm waking you up the Bible says that Jesus went to the room of a little girl who died And he said to her, Talitha, kum, sweetheart, little girl, get up. And she did. He he took her hand and he pulled her right out of death, right back into life. And so he will for you. New heavens, new earth, new bodies. No cerebral palsy, no breast cancer, no racism, no leukemia. No car accidents, no divorce, no hatred. We're going to walk and eat and hug and love and sing and dance and feast. And all with degrees of joy, satisfaction, and delight that we have always longed for and never known. And man, there's going to be reunion. There's going to be reunion. So I'm visiting a couple in our church He's 90. She's a few years younger. I know their oldest son. 
And, uh, and he's a delightful guy. And I said, did you have any other children besides him? And they said, yeah, we had one boy. I said, what's his, what's his story? They said he died when he was 16. I said, oh, what, what happened? They said, with trembling lips, he took his own life. And they told me about his struggles as a child and they told me his story. And they told me how he loved Jesus. And God gave me the words to say in that moment. I looked at them and I said, would you do me a favor? When we get up there, will you introduce me to your son? You see, people told them that if you killed yourself, you could never go to heaven. I said, will you introduce me to your boy? I'd love to meet your boy. It'll be so much fun to get to know your boy. Tears rolled down their face. They shook, right? Reunion. Gosh, we long for it. Reunion. One of my favorite people in our church got leukemia. Then he had a brain hemorrhage. He was dying in Tampa General. We all gathered in his room to sing him to heaven. And uh, it came time for us to leave, and, and, but it was clear this was his last uh, night. He wouldn't survive the night. He had a, a mentally diminished um, son that they had adopted, and, and uh, this boy was, just didn't get the gravity of the moment. And so as a number of us were leaving and he was going with us, um, he was just bouncing out the door. And I said, Kevin, come, come back and go, um, go give your dad a big hug and a kiss and, and, and tell him you love him. Kevin didn't get, you know, that this was the last time he would see his dad. And so Kevin bounced up to the bedside. Dad, gave him a kiss. Good night, Dad. He said, I'll see you in the morning. And, you know, my first thought was, he just doesn't get it, you know. And then later I thought, maybe he gets it better than we do. It's the way I end almost every funeral now. I'll stand over the casket of the one who's gone. Say, Jim, we don't want to do life without you. We weren't made to be separated from you. I hate that we're separated. It's hard. But good night, Jim. Good night, sweet friend. We'll see you in the morning. On that great day. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.